Greetings, everyone. Welcome to episode 139 of The Glow. We're coming at you live on Facebook. We'll be available on the replay on YouTube, available in podcast form, available here on archive, and always available here and now. So good to be with you. My name is Brian Pierre Grossi author of The Big Glow and The Wow of the Now, life coach, run retreats, online classes and courses on empowerment, inner peace, love, freedom, a deeper state of presence that welcomes the magic and miracles of life here and now, and really delighted, 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 enlightened, to have uh, Dale Allen Hoffman joining me today. It's going to be really fun to connect with him and delve into some things together. Um, let me see if I can, uh, let me know where you're from. I always love hearing where people are from. Click the wow button, let me know you're here. I'm going to uh, just share this on my, um, on my page as we get warmed up, tuned up. It's a beautiful... It's a beautiful Tuesday morning here in Asheville. Wafika Najib Hakgi. So good to have you here. Where are you from? Thanks for being here. I'm going to share this on a couple different spots. Get the community rocking and rolling. And, uh,. Really creating a space. I put out a um, I put out a uh, post last week about how creating an intention to make this more of a, a conversational space, um, having really amazing guests that that I'm familiar with, and some that I'm not familiar with so much, but people that um, you know really. Um, can can take the conversation into into an open to another space, and it's also for you to share with us well and join us as well. Welcome, Beat from Norway. Hello from Asheville. Welcome everybody. Let me just do one more. Let's see. Share on my timeline. Yes. So this it's exciting. It's like another level. And this is episode 139. So there's a bunch of other ones to check back on and tune into that are here. But at the same time, um, it feels like a, the start of something new. Like we're taking it to another level. From Syria. That's awesome. Thanks for joining us. I know things have been a bit challenging there of late. And uh, this is a great place to tune in for, we have people internationally, you know, that this is a really international community. So it's been wonderful to have people from all different parts of the world tuning in that um, really we can see where we're the same and where we're, where we're different, where we're, where, where we are the same, the essence is the same. So there's differences on the surface, different cultures, different places, different um, expressions cultural expressions of who and what we are and yet there's the same essence underneath you know that's so beautiful to recognize and realize hey Andy can you do me a favor and can you write Dale and just let him know that we're on and point him to this particular spot I know he's looking for us out there and so if you could just tell him where we are so he can tune in here and join us that would be fantastic Dale, I, I talked to him this morning just briefly on the phone, and um, he's like, uh, I said, how are you doing? You know, and he says, I'm wide open. And I thought that was like the greatest answer that I've ever heard, right? So, like... But so often in America, we're like, how you doing? Hi, everybody says, how you doing? How you doing? How are you? How are you? How are you doing? How is everything? How are you doing? And people say, yeah, I'm doing good. But usually people say, I'm doing good. I'm doing fine. I'm doing just fine. I'm doing, how are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you doing? So, and then some people may say, I'm doing bad, you know? But it's like, 
what is good? We're creating this differentiation, this distinction, this duality of good and bad. I'm good, now I'm bad. But what if you're just wide open? What if you're just wide open to... I thought you were in class, Phyllis. What if you... This is your class. This is your school right here, your education. This is where we educate each other. Welcome, Phyllis. And there's Dale. Let's bring him into the mix. It's coming on just a moment. So he's talking about. So I put, I gave you a, I'm adding you to the, the call, Dale. So you just have to like accept the uh, invitation. There should be a button that you accept it. Did it work now? There he is. Yes. <laughs> this is like a few attempts here. So I'm here though. <laughs> I made it. Welcome. So. Hi. <laughs> I was just talking about how we were talking on the phone earlier, and I was talking about, I said, how you doing? You said, I'm wide open. And how I, I yeah, love I'm that kind response. Yeah, I'm kind of wide open a lot. Yeah, I love that response, you know, the sense of like, because people will be like, oh, I'm good, I'm doing good, how are you doing? Or I'm doing bad, or I'm doing, but, you know, like this, like, this duality of like good or bad, I'm good or I'm bad. But what about this, just, I'm just wide open to whatever the moment presents, whatever the moment arises. You know, I mentioned to you, there, there's on the phone, it's like there's a, I've done my best to kind of move beyond good and bad as much as I'm able to, the labeling of right and wrong. You know, it's like as soon as you label bad, you, you moniker it, you put something on it and you go into a resistance to trying not to feel something that doesn't feel comfortable, but the discomfort comes from the fact that something's trying to arise and you're trying to hold it back. And of course, that's going to multiply the very thing you're trying to hold back. With me, it's like um, being wide open. Sometimes that's, ah, and other times it's just like, yeah. <laughs> um, so, and I just, I do my best to just stay open. And sometimes being wide open means, I think you're kind of like me in that you're sort of hermetic. I'm kind of hermetic. I love being around people, but there's a point where I sort of have to pull back and um, just kind of go off into my space or something. Uh, but the thing about being wide open, though, means that it, it just opens me up to the little tiny things I wouldn't normally recognize, I think, if I wasn't. Mm -hmm. Just the little things that kind of make the soul open. And it also means that sometimes you feel a little, uh, I don't know, vulnerable is the word. But, um, you know, I just can't imagine living any other way at this point. I tried so hard to live up to some kind of ideal of being awake or not awake. And I yeah. just let it go. and. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it's like, it's almost to me like that's what it's all about. It's like, you know, all these words and all this, you know, all this, you know, dogma and all these teachings and all these, you know, those processes and strategies and all these things. And it's like, what does it really come down to? It's just being wide open, being wide open to the moment. Like, you know, you can use different words for it, like absolute surrender or completely letting go or, you know, letting, letting, letting God, you know, direct things or it's all this different yeah. terminology but it's like if it's like there's a sense of like there's like um, there's something here and there's something here and this thing is kind of like resisting or kind of like you know fighting or trying to control or trying to manipulate. But what if it's just like wide open? Then that's the ultimate yeah. unification. Yeah, I mean, and it's um, you know, I I, I think I talk. I, talked probably like when we did our urban mystic retreat, I talked sort of about how we, we have those kind of goals that we set that we're supposed to be more spiritual, more awake, more conscious, more whatever that may be. And it's almost like you create this stress trying to live up to something that you feel maybe on some core level, people feel that they're not that. So they have to try to be more of that yet. That's really all that you are is that is, is spiritual. You really are. You are the, the pure frequency. You are breath. You are life itself. And the thing about being open to me, you know, you know how it all started for me. It was like 15 years ago. I, um, it, it was at the end of an event. I don't remember where the heck I was somewhere out in the Midwest. 
And it's like at the end of these events, you throw a, a word into the circle, love, peace, prayer, forgiveness. And I, I realized that I, it was a day where I felt really spoken through at this event that I was facilitating. And I threw the word open out. And it was really amazing for me that over the next few weeks and months and years, open seemed to, wow, it's like it encapsulated all those other words that for years I had thrown into these circles, and yet it couldn't hold any of those words, and yet it didn't encapsulate anything. It just stayed, you know, open. So it was like it was so all-inclusive, but in the end, it didn't hold anything down. Um, you know, we just facilitated a breathwork event this weekend at Ohm Sanctuary, and people always, they're like, you know, is there something, should I, should I focus on what I want to let go of? And I'm just like, ah, what a great question. It's complete lunacy. Yeah, hold on to the thing you're trying to let go of. Um, but just open in the end. I notice that I breathe deeper. I notice that I see more colors than I would otherwise, just allowing myself to be in the moment um, and just stay open. Uh, and not necessarily lay what my thoughts or impressions are on top, but let it inform me in ways that, again, actually, I say again, but I don't think I've said it, that I may not be able to enunciate in words. And that, for me, is when it's, like, really integrated. If I can't explain it, if someone, you know, spends an hour with me, like, in a session or something, and they go, God, I don't know exactly what happened, but I can feel it. I'm like, that's the real thing. But if they catalog 10 little bullet points and stuff, I'm like, okay, were you actually listening to me? But um, it's really that. It's about true engagement, just being open, present. Yeah, I think the thing that's that's hard, that can be difficult to understand with the mind for people, but we were just talking about briefly on the phone earlier, is – you know, you think that you're going to do well if you're like really prepared and you really, you know, you really have the sense of structure and you have the sense of like, um, you know, the bullet points and all the things you want to, you want to say, and you kind of script it out and all of this. And, um, you know, I think you, you can do something that's good on that level, but to really hit magic, you know, there's this space of just letting all of that go and just really being in the moment together and just really being alive together and being wide open to what, what comes through, what comes through you in the moment. Yeah, I, you know, for me, that's the funny thing, too. It's like of all the years I've been doing what I'm doing and speaking at so many places, you and I said, I was saying it to you the other day, it's like the the more I speak, the less I say, but yet the less, well, should I say the less words I use, but yet the less words I use, the more uh, I'm saying, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed that there's wider, sort of like when I was young and in my early 20s and I'm out there back in the early 90s and it's like, blah, 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 and you read, you've read 20 books in the last six months and you want to throw it all in and you got, you know, I've got the lists and the notes that are like, I remember, no kidding, going back like, you know, 15, 20 years, I remember having like two hour talks where I had like five or six pages of notes that I wanted to get through. And I remember the stress and they were like, it was out in outlines and there was like the bullet points and, you know, the outline goes in the, you know, it kind of keeps kind of a little bit indent, 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 you know, a little bit further in. And I remember the stress of like, oh my God, I talk too much and there's only 20 minutes left and I still have two and a half pages to go. And then the stress of trying to fit that all in. And when I look back at it, it's like, um, it's, it's hilarious. And at the same time, um, it, it kind of almost puts a lump in my throat to look back at myself, uh, almost like as, as a, like a separate entity or something and realize that I was trying so hard again, you know, to be something, or someone that I already was, if I could just allow that to come through, the rest takes care of I mean, how much prep do you need for that? So it's, it's totally amazing. You know, it's totally amazing. Um, then there's a fun question here. What does Dale do? So if you want to uh, talk about that, I will also say that there's a link I put for Dale's website. If you want to check out his website and delve into what's happening, but it, yeah, what, what do you do, Dale? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm most known around the world for working with the Aramaic language, the language Jesus, you know, quote unquote, Yeshua spoke. Um, what I do is I, you know, for many years, I spent a little over two decades 
going using like ancient Aramaic Hebrew, different kinds of texts and unlocking what the, the phrases were really saying. And, you know, when you boil it down that you end up really close to Buddhism, Taoism, you know, a bit of Hinduism, different sort of indigenous philosophies, Aboriginal philosophies. Um, but I was, all, I was so stunned when I started getting into it. I, I, I picked the most, what would probably seem to some people like the most impossible route to go, which is something involving the Bible in the United States of America. The reason I say that is, first of all, you know, people, as soon as they hear you referencing something about, you know, Jesus or whatever, or the Bible, they immediately make an impression whether they realize they're doing it or not. Either they think you're pro-Bible or you're anti-Bible or, you know, whatever. You're running a cult, you're satanic, or you're a Bible banger, or you're homophobic, or whatever the stuff that gets thrown out there. But it's amazing. It, it's like I, I feel blessed in that I was able to see a lot of these ancient texts and open it up in a way that was completely unfiltered. I always say ancient insight for the present moment. Um, and it, after a couple of decades of really doing that wide open and telling people, look, this is a phrase that you've seen, look at it in its native language, the meaning is exactly opposite, 100%, 180 degrees opposite of what it actually meant, you know, what people think it is today. It's amazing because people would go, oh, my God, like they knew on some level, on that deeper intuitive level, they knew that. And I started going deeper into the meanings of the words, which took me into the sounds and the linguistics of the letters and, and these ancient languages themselves, which I kept writing that wave and did a lot of vocal toning. My first book, Echoes of an Ancient Dream, it was about in the last section is about vocal toning and I kind of put it under the guise of that, but really it's about how there's so much level, so many layers of meaning in a single word or sound. And then I kind of rode the toning thing down and it was like a full circle return to being a musician. When I was back in the 1980s, I was playing in like hair metal bands, you know, 1986, 87, 88, 89, my hair was out all over the place, which I guess it still is. Um, and I found myself coming back to the levels of just pure frequency and vibration where I even went beyond the toning of the words and the sounds. And now it's just, it's like I'm moving in toward pure oscillation itself. Like the, the movement of air across my skin or the rise and fall of my breath, um, the beating of the heart. That's what that word spiritus in Latin spirit or rucha in Aramaic, it means frequency or vibration. It's the movement and repose. It's doing and that. It's talking in silence. And um, that apparent duality, but they're not a duality, like light and dark. You're not going to find the place where it changes from something changes from positive to negative or light and dark. It, we're actually talking about something that's very androgynous and singular. And it's like I kept boiling it down and boiling it down and boiling it down to like I got to the end of it and there's like, I'm holding a cup and there's nothing in the cup, you know, and that's when I realized that the cup was full. Uh, but um, so it's interesting at one of my events because I can, you know, with spending, well, I just, this is my what 25th year of, of facility as a breathwork facilitator. And it's like, I can draw on the background in music or the background in ancient languages or the background in vocal toning or the background in like sound healing but in the end, it, it, it all feels pure and very inclusive and open rather than feeling like I've got like one of those business cards. Everybody, you know, meets somebody here in Asheville. There's a lot of them. They flip up and there's like 45 healing modalities on one business card. And they'll tell you, actually, I'm going to get this, this, this and this in the next six months. And you're like, which one's going to be the one that's going to be enough, you know, on the business card? I don't feel that way so much as. It's like I kept going wider, but the wider I got, the more I was coming more into stillness, you know, more into silence, more into space. So I love you. Long way around the board. You uh, you were holding a cup, and you realize, and and the cup became empty, and that's when you realized it was full. Yeah, I love that. So I am the cup. <laughs> You know, uh, yeah, I, I mean, and it, 
it, it, it really took me back to like the early nineties. I was really in the Teak Nut Han, like, you know, 90, 91, 92, 93, 94. And I found myself in the last couple of years after not really reading a lot of spiritual books for quite a while, I went back to like being peace and, and miracle of mindfulness and some of these older Teak Nut Han books. And it was wild because they were always so pure and still. And so there wasn't lots of words and it was it was like I was reading them for the first time, but in a way I wasn't really reading them. It was almost like I was watching something that I had, that had almost been created through me because they were so pure. And it was just like, like lately it's been this full circle thing for me. I spent 10 years out on the road away from my family a lot, speaking at all these different places. And then late 2016 kind of came home and started doing one-on-one -on -one mentoring with a couple handfuls of people around the world. And now we're going to be getting back out on the road again this year. But it, it's like I was able to pull off the road and I really pulled off a of social media and lots of different, not lots of things. And it was like, I was able to watch how I had been sort of on this train and riding the train, keeping up to again, whatever the ideal was. And when I let myself get off the train, the train kept moving. I felt like I was still moving in a way, and it took like months and months and months and months before I got more silent and more still. And that space just started opening up and then like a fresh, fresh the word like this, um, refreshed, recalibrated vision started opening up through my heart. And that's the space I'm in now, which um, it's like if I'm on my way to an event or something, I'm not usually even thinking about what I'm going to talk about. Maybe the title's there, and I'll give them a title, and then I'll say the title once so they think I talked about it. <laughs> but for the most part, yeah. you know, as long as I'm open, it takes yeah. care of itself. You know how that works. No. Yeah, it's so <laughs> it's so it's so amazing. You know, we're in that same kind of um, we're in that same space, and um, it's funny. Even this morning, um, talking on the phone, and like, well, we, we at least need a title, right? <laughs> and it's like, well, we don't even need that. Let's just go. Yeah, we didn't even come up with the one. So, the anti-title. Yeah, so, the anti-title. Not anti. I don't. I'm not an anti-fan, but yeah. So, and you know, it's interesting. It's it's a totally valid question. You know, what do you do? And it, it it totally is a very practical question on on the level of practicality. Um, but it gets it gets so fascinating because what we're really doing, each in our own way, is bringing people into the essence of being. Right. It's yeah. not even a, there's not even like you say, words that can really touch it. It's a space that transcends words because doing it's like doing has this thing of like we're we're going to some we're going somewhere that's better, you know, and being. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, it's it's here now. Right. You're working toward a better now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like so a it's slogan or funny something thing of like, I'm going to yeah. teach you how to work towards a better now, but you're ultimately going to realize that that now is here now yeah so I, I i'm from new jersey originally um everybody everything in new jersey is like bigger well you're basically what pennsylvania you yeah, know but i mean across the border i'm on the pennsylvania yeah we're right across the delaware the delaware river but yeah. i mean everything in new jersey was very much although i grew up sort of in the farm towns it was very much like bigger better faster more yep um and there was always this pursuit thing and there was the way things had to be done and I'm I'm happy that I'm uh, that I was born there because at least they gave me the ability, especially working with biblical stuff for so long, to say things that would be difficult to say and just kind of hit people straight between the eyes with it without yeah. candy coating it. Um, so I'm happy for that. But it's funny too because that kind of for a while it was like I spent a lot of time creating this uh, great great persona you know, of whatever Dale Allen Hoffman and, and living up to that and yep. marketing that and putting it out there. And then people would meet me and they'd be like, um, wow, you're not like what I thought you'd be at all. And I'm like, what exactly? It's like a sort of veiled compliment. What is that exactly? And they'd be like, well, you just, I thought, you know, all this ancient language stuff, you'd be like kind of a, you know, a prick or something <laughs> like all stuffy. And I'd be like, well, no, not exactly. And they're like, I love how you use that technique of humor in your speaking. I'm like, Oh, the technique of humor. Okay. I'm like, no, I'm just kind of a smart ass. My mom said, you know, it's always better to be a smart ass than a dumb ass. So see all those New Jersey roots, they keep coming through. 
but it also there's that sort of the other part of the New Jersey aspect is or is that just work until you drop mentality and I pretty much did that you know I was just out there working until I dropped thinking shouldn't things be going quicker and whatever kind of things and you know lots of offers were dropped in my lap and I'm glad that I turned things down because I think you know in terms of popularity I could have been a lot further but I would have lost parts of myself and I don't and that's when I realized there was no further there was no distance it was just a matter of, you know, how authentic am I right now in the moment? And then if I take care of that, the next moment takes care of itself. So, um, you know, there's that that part of uh, having to work through that sort of arrogant, um, you know, own the universe. New Jersey's an interesting place. It's just an totally interesting, interesting place. Totally so, interesting. Such a great teacher to but, grow up there. What's that? Such a great teacher to grow up there, South Jersey. That's the thing is like, specifically. anywhere can be anywhere can be a great teacher. You know, it's like it's like we think we have to be in a certain kind of you know environment for everything, to, but it's not the case. Um, yeah. What's really I've been, I've been looking at this lately is our Natalia, our friend Natalia from our Urban Mystic Retreat has joined us. Hey, Natalia, welcome. Um, so uh, <laughs> yeah, there's there's a sense of like you know, the ego can attach and identify itself to anything, right? It's so like slick and how it does that. So what I've been noticing, you know, more clearly, or I've been getting, I've just been more interested in lately is the spiritual identification. You attach yourself as I'm, I'm a spiritual, right? And I, like you said, like I, I've been through this and you've been through this and it's, it's part of the journey. So it's totally beautiful, but it's this thing of like, you know, now I'm going to dress a certain way and I'm going to talk a certain way. And I'm going to use certain words <laughs> and I'm going to move in a certain way. And I, and I, and you know, and so this is so you're, you're again, you're like, it's like just another way of, it's no different than materialism. You know, it's, it's, it's a way of um, identifying with something that's outside of yourself, the illusion of something outside of yourself and, and losing the authentic, the authenticity of the, of who you really are. You know, which is, which, as yeah. you said, is like this, whatever you want to call spiritual, like you already are that right now. And you can never not be that. That's the fun of the whole thing for me is um, we, we try so hard to be something that we already are. And we set up all this, all this stress and all these things to live up to. And I mean, you know, I, I spent a bit of time. I don't want to say that I was really in it, but observing what one would say the prosperity movement. And yeah. if that's an interesting thing. Cause I've seen people like, you know, years ago, I remember reading all of Catherine Ponder's books and, you know, for her prosperity was everything relationships, everything was included. And somehow so many, so many aspects were removed from what a lot of people are talking about prosperity and it all has to do with stuff and, and, and cash or something money. Um, and it's almost like relationships and everything, relationships and everything that are a part of that sort of fell away. And, but I w was around that, you know, in some different sort of, you know, circles, especially here in the Asheville area. And I saw people trying to live up to this idea of, all of their affirmations and all of their treasure mapping and all this stuff. And I saw them, it, it was so, it gets kind of shadowy and dark at times because you see people sort of get on the teat of a different organization or center because they need the, the whatever classes and all these different things and the tithing and all that stuff going on. And I'm not saying there's something, you know, an issue with tithing, and then it's like they find that they can't live up to what they're trying to live up to this, whatever it is, somehow writing all the cars and everything you want down is going to make you a more spiritual person. And that's what prosperity is. So this intense form of stress is set up and they try so hard to live up to that. And then they start having these breakdowns. But since these prosperity teachings only talk about what they call is positive or uplifting or light, which of course, right there. Um, judges that positive is good and negative is bad. Positive is the masculine. That's kind of like an arc of electricity. It's the creative spark, whereas the feminine, which is the darkness, which is the shadow, is completely pushed off to the side because these prosperity teachings don't want to talk about anything that puts any kind of challenge of processing you know, into your heart. They don't want to do any of that. They just want, you know, the, the easy road. Let's go for the sugar. 
and I watched a lot of that for so many years with people being caught on that. And then of course they feel like they can't get out of it because then people are going to judge them for not being able to live up to it. But I saw that sort of prosperity new age thing move across sort of all the spirituality movement in the last 10 years with a lot of people. And then I started seeing these distinct um, differences between what I would call like old paradigm sort of ways of, of presenting to people and sort of more of a new paradigm. And for me, the funny thing about the new paradigm is it's almost, its definition is like that it's not definable, that it, 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 it's so ultimately present moment. It's so rich in this moment that what it is right now isn't what it's going to be now as opposed to then. Or even now. Then. That's the whole thing. You know, and that it, that it really, that's why I'm, I tell people, you know, don't be so, like a lot of people will say, oh, well, I don't like Eckhart Tolle. Eckhart sold so many books, so he's a sellout. And I'm like, don't, you know, don't sell him out, because sell him off like that. Because, you know, here's a guy who did what he did with Oprah like 10 years ago. And all these, you know, common stay-at-home dads and housewives were like seeing things about pure consciousness. And in the end, it's like Eckhart's talking about nothing. But the nothing is the everything. And it's like I'm trying to let people know, look, don't just push him off to the side because he's sold so many books because he's really actually saying something, which is nothing, which is everything. Um, and I, I, I really see Eckhart as one of those more, which is funny. I mean, I say that, but then I, I, that's right next to Yogananda or Nisarkadatta Maharaj or, you know, Sri, 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 Yabba Dabba Doo or something like that. How many threes do you need before you have enough? I don't know. I think I've two seen or guys three with is, the, is the preferred. Yeah, I've seen six as much. There was like a guy came here into Asheville like maybe six or seven years ago, like six, I think it was six threes. And I was like, is it enough yet? It's like that business card with all the healing modalities. Anyway, I get a kick out of it. Yeah, and it's 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 easy to to you identify yourself as spiritual, it's so easy to get into this, this superiority thing because you know, the ego wants to find that in different ways. It's always looking for a way to like, I'm better than this person or I'm worse than that person. So I'm spiritual. You're not spiritual. I'm, I'm better than you. Um, you know, the new age community can do it the same way that the Christian community or the Muslim community, it's, it, it can manifest in the same way. And, you know, the, the essence of the realization, there's actually a term that I was reading Eckhart from Eckhart that I, that I really like, um, sameness of being. I was like, yeah, that's mm. a good way of saying it. You know, this realization of sameness of being in everything, you know, in you and me and a tree and a ant and a flower and a cloud, you know, that's, that's the realization. That's so deep because that would really scare the hell out of people that were trying to get to something more when they already are everything. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Sameness, just that word sameness. <laughs> I love it because, uh, yeah, I can see how that would simultaneously exhilarate and terrify someone. Interesting, depending on how open they are or not. So that's pretty cool. Wide, wideness, um, wide open, wide open being. I love that phrase. Try to move you. Your eye, my, my phone had fallen to such a place. It's talking to me. Okay, there we go. Got it fixed up. It's funny, like a black bar, like my phone. The thing, your it slid down just enough. So I'm seeing your mouth and your nose and the top of your head, but your eyes are. And I try to pull it back up, and it slid back down. So I'm going to leave it. I think there's a message there somewhere. You look blindfolded, so. Cool. <laughs> little, a little holster. <laughs> hey y'all! Thanks for being here. If you want any questions or comments you want to share, feel free to share. Natalia has a comment here. Hi Brian. Hi Dale. I agree. My I agree. Any place provides environment for growth, but it's also true that each place has a different energy and might trigger or support more growth in certain areas of being more or faster than in others. I definitely agree with that. Um, also, I think the deeper point that I want to make is if you feel like you're, you're stuck somewhere, stuck, quote, like, for example, someone, um, their children are in this particular place and they need to be there. There's actually someone here joining us from Syria. Um, who's in a war ravaged place right now. And my point is like, wherever you are, if you're there, then there's opportunity to open, to awaken in that space, right? With, even if there's a yeah, war absolutely. happening or, you know, I'm always inspired by some of the greatest, um, when I read people's biographies, 
so many people awakened in prison. You know, the place where, they, where they're the least free externally is where they found the greatest freedom internally. Gosh, read Man's Search for Meaning from Viktor Frankl. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, that's probably the quintessential book of, you know, being detained in such a way, but realizing that they can't touch that. And, it, you know, it's, it's such a, a valid thing, too, because Viktor Frankl didn't, it, as much as he was so deeply philosophical, he didn't intellectualize things to that point where, you know, that's another sort of, I think, new age kind of byproduct is we, we tend to want to intellectualize things, kind of explain things away. Mm -hmm. But there was something interesting about Frankel. I, when I first read him, like in my late teens, I remember because he said things that were so deep and profound, but it was, it never felt, um, cause I was at that point, like in my late teens where I'd been, you know, the high school thing. And I'm like, I've had enough of like having to read things that were like clever, so to speak. <laughs> Um, you know, and I didn't care about it, you know, uh, and at that point, but he, he said so much in a way about, you know, Krishnamurti does that to me too, where he, he can talk about sitting there on a porch. Krishnamurti is a great example. And just looking at a flower for three hours totally. and watching bees coming and going. And he can say so much, he can give you more in three sentences than, than so much of that stuff that I read for years that would, you know, spend, um, you know, 30 pages to say the same thing. People send me a lot of their books to like read. Um, they want blurbs or whatever. And it's funny because sometimes they'll send me these things that are like 800 pages long and I'm, and I'm just looking at it. And I had this one guy come up to me once and he was like, uh, well, you know, I've tried, you know, do you know any bookstores that would want to, you know, sell this? Cause I've tried and I've tried to sell my book to these stores and I'm trying to do signings, but nobody wants it. He's like, do you want to buy a copy? And he gives it to me and it was like 800 pages long. And I'm like, uh, well, you know, um, I don't, I don't know, maybe. And, you know, I just, again, I, I find it so intriguing that after so much time of, of my obsession with, with the words and my obsession with technicalities, trying to, you know, move beyond it. It was when I just started looking into the nature of whatever was right in front of me that allowed me to go deeper into the next moment and the next and the next and the next. And I lost that any interest whatsoever in kind of pushing my chest out, trying to, you know, you do events occasionally and there'll be sometimes someone in the audience that sort of, wants to be recognized, you know, and they want to be oh, yeah. seen and they'll sort of, they'll push, push the chest out. And, uh -huh. um, like occasionally because of the nature of what I do, um, it, it, it's, it's kind of entertaining because someone will go and read a book about something, whether it be Aramaic or some kind of ancient language or something. So of course they read a book, so they're an expert and will sort of beef their chest out and kind of want to push things out. And I, um, I see a little bit of that sort of like of myself from like 30 years ago in that. And it's, it's interesting to me how even in those kinds of situations, I have zero interest in any kind of competition, one-upping or anything. All I'm interested in is can I be wholly, fully present in this moment and stay open? Uh, and I'm not even speaking, you know, re responding to someone because I'm trying to convince anything because I don't care because if I'm trying to convince somebody else of something, what I'm saying about myself is I'm needing to convince myself of something. And it's like, like I say, you know, being to that point where you're speechless, you know, getting to the point where the words don't matter anymore, getting to that place where you're so full and yet you're so empty, you know, in Hebrew and Aramaic, kadosh, kudsha, the, the, this, this state where you're, no, everywhere and now here simultaneously you could translate that as ecstasy that's so whole wholly full and yet empty you know and spacious in that moment um it's like that is i i, I see that in my relationship like with my children with my wife now we've been married almost 20 years um you know and i see like you and i not necessarily moving simultaneously in that direction but we're both kind of i almost look like you and i are like sitting in this sandbox and we've spent 
years throwing things out of the sandbox, not necessarily in judgment that they weren't good. And now it's almost like we're sitting here in this sandbox full of sand and all the toys are outside and we're pointing at all the toys, like just kind of laughing and giggling and throwing the sand in the air and like having more fun with that. It's like you give a kid a $300 toy and the toy sits in the corner and they sit in the box and play with that. So, um, you know, interesting little observation there. There's a phrase that you remind me of a phrase, beautiful what you're sharing, by the way, the vibration. I think everyone's feeling what's opening up here between us, which is the intention of what we're here beyond whatever the words we are that are that were that are being shared. There's a phrase you reminded me of that I read once. I can't remember who, who said it. You might know, but the quote is love God and do what you want. I don't know who said it, but it sounds good to me. <laughs> God's an interesting word right there because, you know, I get I get messages occasionally from people uh, that um, – there was this one guy, actually, who was at one point um, – he's, he's messianic, you know, without going too deep. He's kind of like a little bit of a nutcase, and he was trying to hack into my YouTube and Google accounts, you know, several years back, and – um, all these interesting things were going on, but he has all these different pseudonyms that he goes under. Um, I think Christopher Bradley is the one that he uses most often. But I remember him sending me a message like a year ago, and it, it said, I have a question for you. Which God do you serve? Right. And I laughed at that because I'm like, well, right. where, where's your multiple choice that you've got a yeah. multiple? Okay, this God or this God? Or, yeah. And I'm like, you're not understanding God, you know, which comes from the Germanic good, which is a judgment of good versus bad. Um, you know, for me, God is such almost like an, a nullified term because it's all, you know, the, the, the one, you know, the, that singularity, the non-duality. Uh, and it's like the more present I can be, the more open I'm able to be in this moment. Um, I don't like the word able though. The more open I am in this moment, able feels like a competition, but the more open I am in this moment, the more, the wow. Um, and to me, that's so much more than any sort of anthropomorphized religious idea of what God is, especially the multiple choice God, you know, which one do you want to, which box are you going to check? Mm. Um, yeah. So, and the way I'm feeling it is like open is not, it's not an active, uh, movement of like, I need to try to be open. How do I open? How do I get open? Right. <laughs> Cause that's, that's in effect making it's reinforcing the ego, which is, which is a closed, you're identifying with a closed structure, um, which, which is you you're identifying with a sense of you that's separate from yeah. else. And, and it's also not a passive, um, energy either. It's, it's like something that transcends both of those. It's just, it's just, it's a sense of like, um, the absence of um, the, a separate sense of you making an effort. But then, then the mind goes, well, how do I not make an effort, right? So what you yeah. start to do is you just start to watch. It's like uh, John Lennon had this great song. Um, I'm just sitting here watching the wheels go round and round. You know that one, right? Yeah, I'm of course. I'm to watch them roll. I'm no longer riding on the merry-go-round. I, just I didn't know you were going to serenade me. <laughs> so, so it's like you're, you start just watching the merry-go-round. You know, you're watching it go around. Really? You're not riding it anymore. You know, and that's the beginning of that, the, 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 the letting go, that the identification attachment. So it doesn't mean that those things can't be there, those thoughts, the ideas can't be there, but they don't, you realize it's not the essence of who you are. Right. It doesn't affect the sameness. Yeah. Of you. Well, they're there. You're, it, it's inter it's an interdependence. Yes. You know, you're almost yes. almost like they're just kind of floating by. Yes. Like I'm seeing heart and, and little thumbs up floating by on the screen here. It's that's the thoughts, you know, and I'm not that a thought is a thing. You know, a thought yep. people think your thoughts create your life. Nothing can be further from the truth. Prior to your thought, you had a feeling, which is a sensation of pure frequency, mm -hmm. the sensation of what one would say whatever spirit, you know, that movement, that oscillation. And that's what creates your thought is actually the crystallization of your feelings. Your thoughts aren't creating anything whatsoever. Yeah. It's what's happening on the level of feeling, whether you can enunciate that in a thought or not. And so all these people are obsessing about thought, you know, I, whatever, I'm entertained by that too. But um, it's really fascinating. I, I've, I've done experiments. So I, I like, I like, 
you'll find this humorous, I think. So I'll like walk by a highway. I mean, like, let me see if like thoughts create reality, right? So I walk by it, but in a car will come and I'll be like, hit me, hit me, hit me. And the car never hits me. Like, I think if, if, if I really created my reality, the car would swerve off the road and like hit me, right? And I'm like, <laughs> oh, my thoughts create my reality. But it's not working. So I think there's something true to what you're saying, that there's something deeper than thought, you know? And, and we become so, we become so obsessed with thought. It's like we're at the stage of evolution of our consciousness where we find a new toy, you know, a new tool. We're so obsessed with this yeah, new yeah, tool. Yeah. And we're trying to do so much more with this tool that it's actually designed for. It has this small, tiny little role. And we're trying to do everything with it. And there's these intelligences that are deeper than thought that, we're, that we've, we're, we don't have awareness of. We've lost awareness of or we, we're losing access to. And I think that's yeah, what yeah. we're awakening to. And we can see it. I mean, thought is almost something you can almost hold in your hand. So, quote, unquote, scientifically, it looks like something that we can work with and observe. Funny because, you know, feeling and emotion, it's not quite the same thing, but even emotion in Latin, motus anima, meant energy and motion. You know, it's energy moving. Again, we're back to that spirit. I think of that that thought of living up to you know, trying to keep our thoughts living up to what we're supposed to be spiritually. I, you know, for years uh, used to think of how funny it was. Like, as an example, you've got the parent that does their 20-minute meditation every day, and they lock the door, and they shove the cereal in the kids' faces so that they'll stay in the kitchen and leave the parent alone while they're meditating. And the kid's, like, knocking on the door. The kid's knocking on the door, and the parent's just trying to meditate. And then finally the kid opens the door and the parent's like, would you go away? I'm trying to meditate. You know, and that's that we, we have that pursuit that we're trying to live up to. But yet here is, you know, I, I say a lot that I, I love that there's yogis like Tibetan Gayato monks way up in the mountains that have been meditating, you know, holding frequency patterns for humanity for thousands of years. I can't imagine what this world would look like without that. Yet what I really want to see is I want to see, I want to see them down with their genetic birth family and all their in-laws and cousins around the table, like a Thanksgiving kind of thing. I want to see all of them together and then let's see how, how present. And it's awesome to sort of take ourselves away. We, I think we all need that. You know, that's their hermetic part of me to, to like move away from society or move away from something but the real thing, like, you know, you mentioned to me a couple of weeks ago, it was like, wow, you really are juggling a lot of stuff because it's like family and it's like, there's so many things going on and our nephew and his girlfriend are living with us. And then their little like five month old baby and it's all these things going on. And like when you and I try to get together, it's like, oh, and then it gets kind of rescheduled because like Dale's got a, a school assembly or this or that or whatever, one of the kids, um, but I mean, for me, again, it's like the, it's like, again, it's like these little hearts and thumbs or thumbs up that I'm seeing floating across the screen here. It's like the, the what of it or, or the how even might change, you know, and that just kind of floats by like notes on a, on like, you know, staff paper. Mm -hmm. But in the end, it's not really the notes on the paper that matter. It's how deeply can I breathe in the essence, you know, the, 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 the frequency, the vibration, the, the depth of what they communicate, not the notes on the paper, but rather, you know, the experience of it itself, of the sound and the silence and that. And it's like I spent so much time on the paper to be able to realize that the magic was between the notes. It was between the words. I spent so much time on the words that I started looking at the space between the words. And that's when I went, Whoa, you know, this is, this is deep. So people ask me a question about something that I talked about 20 years ago and they're waiting for an in-depth answer. And I answer with like five words, <laughs> you know, and they're like, what, what? No, I wanted this big in-depth thing. And I'm like, you know, that was me then that would answer, you know, with a, a one hour response, you know, uh, mm -hmm. If you need if you need fifteen year old Dale, then go find fifteen year old Dale because I don't know where the hell he is anymore. I just know where I am. Mm -hmm. So um, now you remind anyway. me of a, of a of a couple things. Um, one is a, a quote that I that I heard about Rumi, which I loved, and he said, um, "Rumi was not a master of words." 
so paraphrasing might be exactly right, but Rumi was not a master of words. He was a master of the silence from which the words come from. I was like, Oof. that's it. I've yeah. heard that before too from someone. You know, if you if you ever meet Coleman Barks, who's the one, you know, I, I've done work over the years with Robert Bly. Robert Bly, you know, Iron John, he's sort of the whole masculine men's movement. I did several um, multi-day things with him over like going back years ago. And Robert, um, Robert was the first American to like really take Rumi's poetry and Hafez and everything. But Robert went, walked up to Coleman Barks in like 77 or 78. And he had these clinical translations of Rumi. And he said, here, let these out of their cages. And Coleman took them. And it's like, he took these like Farsi and different language, um, like clinical American or English translations of Farsi and some other languages. And he made, took those clinical translations and he breathed into them and he meditated into them. It's kind of what I do in some ways, but I go a little bit, even a little bit wider. And it's amazing because if you ever, if you ever are around Coleman Barks, who he's the biggest selling poet of the last 30 years because of those Rumi translations, but he's like, Coleman is awesome. He's this like well-cultured alien. Um, I don't like, know how else to put right? it. So Southern, Southern boy. He's from like, yeah, and he's from Athens, Athens, Georgia. But he's so quirky and weird, yeah. and I'm so fascinated. Anytime I've ever been able to spend some time with him, I just watch him and the quirkiness. But like. And he has all those, I, I love, like, my favorite music is quirky music. You know, I don't know what that, you know, the Sugar Cubes, whatever, Bjork, things like that, people with unique voices. Mm -hmm. But um, but the thing about Coleman was just watching him in different settings, he had these moments when he would just kind of look down toward the ground. And some people would probably look and say, oh, he looks depressed. But he would go into these deep spaces, Mm -hmm. You know, and and I found it so intriguing because he would I would watch him. And that really, again, it takes us back, back to frequency and vibration to that point where you're out and you're open and there's all that expression and there's the expansion. And then there's like it, what would appear like a retraction or a contraction. But what I really feel like is when it comes back to the center, it's also expanding. And I feel that when you're expanding, you're coming to the center. Again, it's not two different things. It's not up and down, in and out, light and dark, positive and negative. You know, if I had a, a battery here, I couldn't take that place where it changes from negative into positive. It doesn't exist. There is no such thing because it's not two different energies. It's a singularity or a continuum. And I mean, for me, being as much as I'm able to be open in the moment, I'm not deciding, do I feel more positive or do I feel more negative? If I feel negative, then I need to swing positive. And what that does is it swings people. Everybody knows that, you know, when you get those ones that have been like too heavy in whatever movement, you know, with the spirituality and, and their, their teeth are really shiny and they bowl you over, you know, and you have to like sort of always be up and happy when you're around them. And then when you want to talk about something that's visceral and deep, and requires really like a lot of breath and a lot of maybe, maybe you're in like a deep place or you just lost someone you, you, you love, you know, in the physical realm. And it's like, they won't go there because they're just not able to process it because they want to be up. And somehow we've turned positive into good and negative into bad, which has meant we've turned masculine into good and feminine into bad. And if you look at what we did to mother earth, we've completely ignored her. We've ignored the shadow because we've somehow said that the shadow is bad, but there's no place where you can find where, you know, if you go from a dark room to a light room, you're not going to find the place where it changes from light to dark because we're not talking about two different things. They're not even interpenetrated. You know, the, the I Ching, the Supreme ultimate, we've got the yin yang, um, the dot is in both because it's saying these aren't two different things. They're not even really interpenetrated. They're the same. And again, that brings me back to that sameness, which, you know, if somebody threw the word sameness out for me 30 years ago, when I was starting to meditate and, and becoming a spiritual being, um, I would have been like, no, no sameness. I don't want sameness. Uh, but it's amazing. You know, after all that pursuit of differentness and more and bigger and better, um, I realized that what can be better than now? What can be better than me just just being open now, mm -hmm. be here now? You, uh, read Be Here Now from Ram Das. 
um, and you flip through it, there's not a lot of words in that book, but there's a lot of really amazing geometrical figures that you can sit with and, and look at and really get into and go beyond, you know, the state of the words, mm. so to speak. And anyway, let's tie this into uh, relationship a second. Um, I was talking with Annie this morning and I was just reflecting on a couple people that we know that have been in a relationship for a long time that have separated or whatever the word is broke up or whatever um, recently. And just reflecting how long-term relationships or, or partnerships or marriages or even friendships um, can be really difficult uh, for people. And I was kind of exploring like, why is that? Right. And I was like, well, mm -hmm. it's one of the, the big things is the accumulation of time. So there's a sense of time accumulating and there's a sense of, um, what's happened in the past accumulating and building, building, building. So like, it seems like there's something about time and there's a heaviness to time. And you did this to me last week and you did this to me a month ago. And five years ago, you said this and it, it builds and it gets to some point where it's something, something breaks, you know? So is there a way to, how do, how do you transcend that? How do you transcend this accumulation of time? You're someone that's been in a, relationship uh, been married for a long time and people are people are inspired by what you and Loretta have and what, yeah, it's been, you that. know people often well you've spent time with Loretta and I and I mean my wife being her me being out there in front of a lot of people her being a model and like a performance artist it's like people are like oh you guys have a perfect relationship and it's like we kind of look at each other and giggle and like you couldn't handle our relationship <laughs> you know you, you would implode the first day you know there, it's that's such a fascinating. It's something that I've pondered a lot. That whole that time thing or the past. Yes. You know that that idea of the past. Mm -hmm. And um, Loretta and I have really um, worked at what's the best way to put this? Worked at moving beyond the work of the past of overcoming the past. Let me put it that way. We've worked at moving beyond the work of overcoming the past. There just, it has to be a point where, um, and I mean, nothing is like the last couple of years. I think everybody, our culture everywhere. Um, it's, it's amazing how uh, the last couple of years has just been strange. Not bad. Just um, it's been an odd couple of years. 2017 was very odd. Uh, but it's like anything that hadn't been processed, I think, in a lot of people's relationships really started gurgling up to the top. A lot of things were resonating because the more you come into that realization of the resonance of the one, you know, the, the more that you're resonating with that wholeness, that oneness, the more the stuff that you that it's within you or contained in the packet of your past that hinders your awareness of that oneness, the more that comes into play and that stuff rises to the top. And I mean, Loretta and I have enough stuff in our past that, you know, we probably should have gotten divorced 18 years ago. Right. Um, but we're, we've just found that way of um, being able to just, again, be open and let it go. <laughs> it's funny because there's been times lately where, you know, an argument will arise and sometimes you just say the stupidest stuff and you just throw things out there like trying to protect yourself. Um, you know, I'll, both of us, you know, we'll just have something really stupid, you know, that you throw out there that years ago might've been like a total home run and now you throw it out there. And it's like, we find ourselves like in the middle of an intense argument sometimes now and we just burst into laughter because we say the most absurd things trying to like hold our ground when in the end it's not, you know, really it's me holding my ground and her holding her ground. But in the end, there's no my ground or her ground. It's just ground. Like any ground. Ours. And even that. Yeah. Ground. And it's like, so we find ourselves, you know, grounding out a lot more um, meaning just, you know, we still have our stuff. Um, but that whole, yeah, that past thing is so intriguing because, um, 
it's just such a pile of crap, you know, put simply. There's no, there's, there's nothing in it. Why? And if you even think about it, it's like 100% pure insanity. You know, why would you, like, as an example, you have a friend that you haven't seen in like two years or something. And it's like, you see them, oh, there they are in the crowd. And then you walk up to them. And just before you go to, they're looking away or something, just before you reach your hand out to touch their shoulder, you remember that thing that they did to you. And you pull your hand back. And then they turn around and look at you, you know, and there's that thing in the middle. It's like, what a what a ridiculous way to live. But yet, I mean, me again, you know, and I'm not leaning back on the New Jersey thing constantly, but that was my mom's thing. If my mom held as amazing as she was the most wide open person I've ever met in my life that I've ever known. Um, but the thing about my mother was if she, if she thought it, she said it, there was no filter. So, I mean, if we're like in the grocery store and somebody is like, you know, whatever, not moving quick enough or something, you know, my mother would spit that out. So there was aspects of that that I would do. And for me, I didn't hold on the things I would spit them out. But then it was like when Loretta and I first got married, you know, 20 years, it'll be 20 years in October. Um, I realized that, you know, of course you go through that honeymoon thing that lasts six months, a year, two years. And then I realized that I could say like one phrase that would like almost be like dropping an atomic bomb on her because there was so much fire and fury from my past that I would dump on her for the smallest things that really she wasn't even doing toward me. So then what I started doing was holding it in. So then I'd hold that back and I'd hold on to more of the past because I didn't want to do that to her so that it would build up, build up, build up. And then of course she started holding back. Uh, and there was a couple of moments there where, you know, when I say moments, periods of time where it, we weren't sure if it would last. Um, but yet, in the end, gosh, we're just, we're wholly and fully committed minus the addiction is the best way I can put it. Um, the addiction of being in a relationship or um, the addiction to having to be right, or anything like that. Again, we just, we're open. Um, and it makes relationship really exhilarating and amazing, but it also means being that open that you're a lot more vulnerable. And I don't mean that in a bad way. You're just a lot more open to things resonating and popping that might not feel so good sometimes. But uh you know, we do our best to not judge that. And it might take a little bit of time, but we always, you know, come back together and we're still here. So, um, but the people that do admire a lot of us because it looks like, say, they see photos of us together. And, oh, my God, I was like, you know, y'all would be incinerated in the first 30 <laughs> minutes if you were in the middle of this. So, but we've just committed with each other like that. And the energy, it's amazing because, I mean, we've got the cosmos swirling above us. Um, we're in that kind of a magnitude of the depth of our love. Um, but that requires us kind of being I don't mean this in a bad way, like burned at the altar, you know, several times a day, but you know, uh, it's, it's actually a pretty freaking beautiful feeling because there's nothing being burned at that altar. That's real anyway, you know, it's yeah. just that again, in the past. I mean, to bring it back to full circle, if you want to live wide open, then you're willing to have, um, anything that looks like a thing be burned, you know, be burned by the fire. Yeah. And, and even though it may, you know, to 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 the ego or to it, it may look, it may look bad. It may even feel bad. But there's this wider perspective, you know, like anything that's like a thing that's that feels like heavy, that feels solid, that feels like it's it's got um, form and shape. It's going to get burned, you know, and this moment yeah. is wide open. And this moment is where love is. And this moment is where the sense of me and you has no separation. And this is where we, yeah. we want to be. Um, so we just have a couple of minutes left, but um, we, someone did ask about the Urban Mystic Retreat. Let's just touch on that really quick. We had a really amazing uh, retreat, you, myself, and John Stringer. John will be on next week, actually. So that'll be great cool. to have him here. Um, what was it? Was it five days that we were together? It was five days, and it was um, almost exactly a year ago. In a couple of weeks, it'll be a year. So Yeah. 
I wanted to do another one last year, but I was so sort of off grid um, trying to juggle a thousand things and, and um, I, we're, we're, I'm full on ready, man. Let's go. Yeah. Let's do it. And we're plus ready. we'll have the paradigm. We'll have the paradigm in May, which is the, um, well, it's a whole different thing. The sound healing instrument that we're going to be able to, to work with sound healing is kind of a encapsulated, like simplistic view of what that puppy can do. But, um, really taking it down the pure frequency and vibration. So sorry, there's a neighbor's horn honking. I think something's being delivered, but <laughs> anyway. So stay tuned for uh, an announcement on that. We, we started talking about it and it's going to happen. We fine tune the details for the next urban mystic retreat, Dale and I together. And um, yeah, I really, really appreciate this, this conversation from the comments I've seen. It seems like everyone else is really appreciating as well. And, um, this will also be available for replay in the archive. If you want to watch it again or you share it with your friends, click the share button. We can continue the conversation here. You can you can continue to write comments and we can respond uh, throughout the week. It'll also be up on YouTube and I'm working on getting it up on um, on a podcast form as well. So and then uh, you can check you can check out Dale's uh, link and I have some links as well below to to uh, plug in more. Thanks so much for being here, brother. Absolutely. Talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks for being here. See you in the next now.